Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Social Contract Commander Podcast. I'm Mike Almond, and I want to talk to you about something uncomfortable this week. I think any time that you have a conversation involving magic, and especially EDH, there is a good chance that power creep is going to come into play. And I don't want to do the traditional conversation about power creep where you talk about is magic getting too strong are the cards getting crazy i it, i don't i don't want to do that because frankly i feel like that's a conversation that happens constantly every time that a new card comes out that seems to push the game to another level it becomes a well is this is this going to be what magic becomes is it, and the answer is maybe uh i don't know cuz I understand where it comes from as far as a thought process. Because Wizards, when they're making new sets, they have to have reasons for people to buy the set. And for some people, that's because there are new cards that push the limits, that make things just a little bit more efficient, a little bit faster, a little bit more exciting, etc. Otherwise, well, it's a lot harder to sell a set. If they just made an entire set full of, you know, not junk, but... Things that don't really, that don't improve upon what you're already doing. Things that you say, oh, well, I could add this to my Sovala deck. I could add this to my Tesa Karlov deck. If, if there's not something for you in that set, your likelihood to buy it is going to go down. Even if you're the type of person that buys every set, no matter what. And if you are, the collecting is more your thing than necessarily the brewing and the everything else. So they have to include cards that make the game more interesting to as many people as possible. That's not the conversation we're going to have today. We're not going to talk about power creep in magic itself. What I want to talk about is power creep in your playgroup. Because you might already be doing it. You probably are, just with the way that cards go. And if you're listening to this podcast, I think that if it's not the most important thing to you, it's still something you're very aware of, where your goal for the game is to have as much fun at the table as possible, and social interaction, and doing politics and making sure that everybody at the table is having a good time. That's why we call it the social contract, because you are collectively agreeing that together you're going to do something, create something that's going to be of more benefit to everybody than if you were playing yourself. If you're not having fun with your group and you'd rather play, you know, some solitaire, some Magic the Gathering Goldfish, go for it. But that's less fun, and that's less of what we're doing. So let's examine power creep in your playgroup. And I think one of the more odd things about it is that it's hard to recognize, right? It's one of those things where you could be playing for a really long time with the same group of people, which means that unless somebody brings out a completely new deck than what you're used to, everything else is pretty much status quo, right? It means that there might be a couple of changes that you notice, 
because somebody puts in a dockside extortionist in their deck and wow I I did when did you get that oh I got it last week it's one of those things where unless there's a super heavy card or a new deck or there has to be something that really comes out of nowhere for you to recognize that the people that you're playing with on a regular basis are really hitting that power creep are really amping up what they've been doing because it's a gradual thing more times than not especially if you're playing really regularly right so today I want to talk about some of the ways that I've been able to recognize power creep and then how to address that conversation if it's a conversation that you feel like addressing and I mean that in two different ways one only worry about the power creep at the table if it's something where you think that the table will collectively have more fun if it's something where somebody is doing something that hey your decks are way too powerful we kind of can't keep up if they enjoy being the arch enemy then every once in a while you have to switch things up and you know for the enjoyment of everybody at the table can we play something more collective speed that's nothing new but if you're totally fine with it then don't worry about that because if it's been an issue then this is nothing new and we have to figure out how to address that conversation a little bit better and that brings us to the second point this is not something where you have to have a conversation about power creep again unless there's an issue I don't want you to think that, oh, Mike is talking about these things that happen and they reflect power creep in a playgroup and all of these things are things that are happening in my playgroup, so I have to talk. No, that's not how this works. If you're worried about power creep, if you notice a lot of these things happening, and if you want to change that, you want to redirect, then there's a conversation to be had. So that's the disclaimer that I want to make before we go any further here. If you want to try and avoid power creep becoming an issue at your table, here are some of the warning signs that I've... Yeah, and warning signs is in the biggest air quotes. Warning signs that I have noticed. The other part is, again, only have this conversation if you want to. Because if this is an issue with your playgroup you might already know it and you might already have decided that it is a conversation to have we'll talk about the best way to do so so let's get into some ways that you can recognize power creep in a playgroup that you've played with a lot again a little difficult because you're noticing the progression unless something big and splashy happens like really pushed cards or an entirely new deck it's hard to recognize it so the first thing that I'd say to look for are your games getting faster the literal start to finish time of your games is that getting shorter and shorter and I know that you can't necessarily look back at games that you played two years ago and look at the average time versus what you're doing now but it's something to keep in mind, you know, if you were playing with the same playgroup and you used to start at 6 o'clock and play three games, 
what time did you get finished? And now, how many games are you getting in? Is it something where the games are getting faster, or is it more of a slog? Now, if your game is getting faster, it could be a variety of different things. Maybe you have somebody that was new to Magic when you were getting started, and they're getting better at it. They're getting more familiar with it. They're building their own decks, things along those lines. A lot of things that make them faster on playing, which means that the overall experience is going to be faster. Totally reasonable. Maybe it's something where the schedule has changed, which means the dynamic changes. People can only play for a few hours. Well, a few hours can be a long time. If people can only play for a couple of hours, maybe the intensity speeds up because there's less diversion. So we're just focusing on the game, etc. There's a bunch of reasons why your game can be going faster than it used to. But one of the big ones is because people make their decks more efficient. You're looking for all of the two mana mana rocks and ramp pieces as opposed to everything else you were doing before. You're trying to get everything out there as fast as possible. You're trying to get all your pieces together. You're trying to get it to where your deck is humming. And if that is the case, then you are trying to make it as efficient of a deck as possible. And if you're trying to make an efficient deck, you're usually making a powerful deck. If your games are getting faster than they used to, it can be a sign. Doesn't mean that it's a bad thing. Just means that decks are getting, you know, quote unquote better. Another thing that could be a sign that your playgroup is dealing with some power creep. How much ambiguity is there at the table? And I don't mean that in the, oh, I play with these people all the time. And this person's deck is a super friends deck, so it's going to do the planeswalker thing, and it's going to proliferate, and it's going to try and get to some ult. I'm not talking about that. I am talking about the, this person will go and find this piece and then when they find this piece they'll combine it with this thing they'll do their combo and that's it that's the only way this deck wins and it's how it wins every week if that's how that person wants to build that deck and that's how they want to play it that's fine uh i think we can for the most part agree that's not where we lean uh on this podcast but Combo pieces and tutoring for them and all of these other things are... This has been a part of Magic for a long time. And there's nothing wrong with it. But at the same time, if you have the same set pieces every single time as somebody looks at your deck, it means that you're going to try and find more efficient ways to find that set piece more times than not. You are going to say, oh, well, this is a cheaper tutor for me to go get this. Oh, well, this is a new tutor for me to go find this piece. Oh, well, this is something that I can use to get this piece, etc. If the way that your deck wins is by doing one specific thing, then it means that your deck is more than likely going to be pretty good at finding that one specific thing. Doesn't mean that it's a problem necessarily, because... I know a lot of people that have combo decks, and I don't hate those combo decks. And it can be taxing to make decks that 
win in a variety of different ways on a consistent basis. Heck, I have a Brian Stoutarn deck. What does that deck do to win? Well, it finds or takes really big things and throws them at people. That's how the deck wins. But I'm leaning more into the, does this deck always win by finding a Laboratory Maniac? You know, it's the thought process of if the deck wins one way with one card every time and it finds that card. If it's something where that's what the deck is built off of, it's obviously going to find new and innovative ways to find that card. My next one, it might be a little weird. It might be, it might be more specific to me and uh, a much smaller group of people. I have a ton of EDH decks. I was so proud of myself because I finally got below 20 about this time last year. And since then, I've made another six. So I have a ton of commander decks. Do you have a bunch of decks that you simply cannot play with your playgroup? And I mean that on both sides of the fence. Do you have a bunch of decks that you say, I can't play this deck with this group because it absolutely will not hang to a point where you're not going to have any fun actually playing the game? Because that's not really power creep so much as, well, this is, this is just a deck that I won't enjoy playing. I won't be able to interact. I won't be able to affect the game in a meaningful way. So I'm not going to play that. That's not so much power creep as maybe it's, you know, that deck isn't built for that meta. But do you also have decks that you won't play because they're too powerful for your playgroup? Because it makes either an arch enemy game out of the situation or because it just makes the game less fun. You, you feel that... This isn't as fun for everybody at the table if you play this deck because, well, it's more powerful. It's just not going to hang. There are decks that I haven't played in years because I don't know if it's going to be the most powerful deck at the table every single time. But I know what it feels like when it's really humming. And I know what it feels like looking at everybody else at the rest of the table if it's going really strong because there's just not a lot to do about it. That's why we like a lot of cards that involve social interaction as well as board interaction because it makes it a little bit more even keel for everybody regardless of who's playing what and how powerful if there's opportunities to recognize what's going on with different political cards, different types of builds it makes it a lot easier for everybody to compete at the same level group hug everybody's going to get resources well that means it's going to close the gap a little bit etc now the reason i'm bringing up the uh, the idea of having decks that you don't play with your playgroup because they're either too slow or too strong it's kind of a double-edged sword here because if you recognize that your decks might not be at the same standard as the rest of your table and you don't play them 
it means that you've got a good level of understanding of what the power level is at your table. How strong is everything at your table? So what I really want to know as we dive into this is for those decks that you don't play with your play group, how long has it been since you've done that? Is it something where you used to have a deck that was in a pretty heavy rotation and you didn't stop playing it because it became less interesting or because you got bored with it? Is it a deck that you stopped playing because you stopped having fun with it because of that disparity in power level, disparity in effectiveness, disparity in interest with the rest of your playgroup? Because if that's the case, you already have a timeline. Maybe you took that deck out because it was getting too strong. Because you kept putting new stuff into it. Because the rest of the table didn't keep up. Because, 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 because. Or the exact opposite, where this deck used to be fun, and now it just gets its face busted in by everybody else at the table. Well, why? Is it because everybody else got stronger? Is it because you didn't update it as much as you did other decks? Is it because... Whatever the reason. If it's something where you recognize that there are decks that you have that you would like to play, but you don't anymore, that's a good time to examine the power level. And more relevant to what we're talking about here today, it's a good time to examine the, the power creep of the table. Because now it's affecting in a way that you literally have something built that you don't feel comfortable playing for whatever reason. So maybe isolate that reason and figure it out. This next one actually does kind of affect me and not in a comfortable way. So I'm on a, I'm in a group thread with all the people in my play group. We talk about doing a couple of other nerdy things, meeting up for dinner, hanging out, things like that. But the main driver of that group thread in particular is us talking about meeting up to play Magic and talking about Magic cards. And specifically, we will bring up cards in upcoming sets or the spoiler cards for different sets with some glee. And what gets concerning about that is if somebody shows a card and we all collectively go, whoa, well, we all recognize it. And then there becomes this, you know, this FOMO, this fear of missing out on this cool card that does such cool stuff. And, well, I, I've got to get this thing. Why do you have to get it? Is it because your friend is going to get it? Is it because everybody's excited about this card so everybody needs one? Is it because of how raw powerful this card is? And it fits into a whole bunch of decks. Because if you get yourself into that kind of arms race every single time, um, 
good luck. Because that is literally <laughs> you buying cards to keep up with the table. Or you putting out there that cards exist and everybody feeling the need to, to get those cards. And you should get excited about new sets. You should get excited about new cards because it's something different, right? But if the motivating factor in getting those cards is to keep up with the table or to have something that other people have, you're not approaching power creep. You're straight up in it. So there is that. The last one I have is more of a, it's a personal reference, and I hope it's one that everybody has the opportunity to look at. I didn't used to document my decks in any way, because I just built them, took them apart when I was done with them, etc. One of the things I like doing now, especially since I have decks that I like to keep together, and change up, and alter, but, you know, keep record of what they used to look like, is look back at my decks and find the fiscal cost, find the mana cost, find the amount of pieces that I've changed over. And how many new cards I've put into the deck. Because if you're constantly rotating new cards into a deck, well, two things. Is the deck still doing the same thing it was doing before? And just more efficiently? Just faster? Or did the deck change because of the things that you've put into it? I get it. It's, it I don't want everybody to sit here and think that, oh, Mike is telling us that updating our decks is us doing power creep. Yes and no. But... I want everybody to recognize that if you have the opportunity to see what your deck used to do and see what everybody else's decks used to do and how much they've changed, examine the why. If you're putting new cards into your deck because, oh, this is fun. Is that fun because I'm going to win on turn 6 instead of turn 8? Or is it fun because it does this new interesting effect? I don't know. I'm only looking at my decks. But it is something that I've had to catch myself on from time to time. I wanted to make a Joyra deck, the Suspend Joyra. And do it in a way that wasn't crazy extra turns and all this other stuff. Just getting super crazy value on a bunch of Battlecruiser magic. I wanted to do something interesting. Something different. And I built it. And I think I achieved that. And then I started putting new cards into that deck that seemed on their own, interesting, and like it would build to what I was talking about. And then I looked at that deck when I first built it to a couple of years later, and it wasn't the same deck at all, and it didn't do the same thing, and it turned into, well, I can put 
an extra turn spell in there. I can put this one really powerful effect in there. But it's almost like in deck building where, hey, make sure that you go back every once in a while because if you have to make a cut for a new card, you know, it's really easy to say, well, I'm just going to take out this one land and I'll put in this spell. But if you do that a couple of times, the land base for your deck is completely different. And if you do that a couple of times with powerful effects, well, now the power level and the efficiency or the just raw power, again, of your deck, well, that's going to change. So now what? So I like to look and see how much has this deck changed from when I first built it? Literally, how much have I replaced 10 cards in it? Have I replaced 30 cards in it? How new are these cards that I'm putting in there? And are they in there just because I want to play with these new cards because I haven't played with them before? Or is it I want to play with these cards because I will make this deck so much better with this card versus this card? Rinse and repeat 25 times. Am I still playing with the same deck? It might have the same principle, but in a lot of cases it doesn't. I built that Joyra deck to be weird and funny and silly and then powerful. And over time realized, oh, this deck is more powerful than it is any of those other things. That's not as fun for me. And I don't play it anymore. It's never been on stream. I played it a couple of times with my playgroup, and it's a bummer. Because I put time into building that deck. I put energy into building that deck. I put resources, literal resources, into getting cards to put into that deck. And don't worry, it's go the pieces will be dismantled. They will be rotated and turned into something new and different and interesting. And over time, I'm probably going to do the same thing because I'm human, just like all of you. Well, presumably. But the point is, is that if you examine what decks were and why you built them, it's a really good way to be able to forecast against what we're talking about. So take a look back at your decks, if you can. And by the way, if you can't, you really should document your decks. Use tapped out. Use EDHREC. Use, use a bunch of different resources. Go ahead and put your decks in there. It, even just for the simple purpose of brewing, will make your life a lot easier. So, there's my actual magic advice today. So those are a couple of factors that I tend to use when I'm looking at power creep at my table, any playgroup that I'm with. Things along those lines. So... Now let's get into the less comfortable part. Let's decide that you're looking into these factors as well as other ones on your own, and you think that you and your table have a power creep problem. It's all right. Frankly, this is something that affects every magic group, whether they know it or not. Well, whether they recognize it or not. So let's have that conversation. 
let's figure out a couple of ways that we can address this. First one, and I hate to say this, is very important. You can absolutely bring up power creep at the table and your concern for it. And all I'm going to ask you to do is say, I think our decks are getting a little bit too powerful. Does anyone else agree? And that very awkward silence that I just gave you is more than likely to be the answer for a bit. <laughs> because you don't really think about it, you know? It might be something where people find it as an issue, but it might not. And more than likely, it's probably not going to be, you know? It's, it is a factor of, if everybody is still playing and still having fun, power creep is this thing that has this, oh, it's a staggering, a staggering connotation to it. People think that it's the worst thing because it means that you can't play magic and you still can. You probably are. So, no, we're having fun. What are you talking about? There's no power creep. It's okay. You can bring up a topic and, and be told that, no, it's not an issue. Okay. But let's say that they agree. Let's say that you push the issue because you bring up what we were talking about. We bring up these factors that we were saying before. And you say, it's it's not the worst thing, but I do want to address it. You ask the question, what are we going to do? If, if, if it's business as usual, it's business as usual. I don't know what to tell you. Sometimes that's just the fun of the game. People like building better and more powerful things. It's exciting to take something and watch it develop and grow especially when you're the one who's in charge of it, right? But if you want to do something to change things up a little bit, here are my suggestions. First one is the easiest one, actually. Everybody swap decks. Do a deck draft. And see what people pick and why they pick it. Collectively, you have your own decks, you bring them. Whether it's random, whether it's something where you're actually drafting them, it doesn't matter. But change it up. Especially if you're in a playgroup where you're playing with the same people, for the most part, who are playing with a lot of the same decks. Because a lot of the reasons that people will go into power creep and a lot of people will go into buying new cards is so they can keep things fresh. It's so there's no oversaturation on their own decks. Well, what's more different than playing an entirely new deck that somebody has put a lot of thought and care into? It's a good way to kind of temper that need for more, which sometimes gets affiliated with power creep, that magic the, the, the greed. <laughs> magic the greedering. I, I don't know. The point is, if you switch things up, No cost, pretty fun, and you get to do something different. Try it out. I like doing something where everybody builds a new deck based off some parameters, whether it's, you know, the silly ones that are, you know, 
okay, no rares, no mythics, except for your commander, maybe. Um, where you have a certain cost limit, where, okay, the budget has to be blank. Um, I like, I've done this, it was a while ago, and it would be really interesting to do now, but it was a, uh, a tier list, where essentially you would have to have a certain amount of cards at this mana cost and then the next level up and then the next level up. So it's literally spread out between, okay, I have this many one mana spells, this many two mana spells, this many three mana spells. And I'm not going to tell you to do something like that and then go over it with a fine tooth comb or whatever with everybody. It's a cool way to get everybody interested in making something within some certain guidelines, which is usually the problem when we're talking about power level and power creep itself. There's no real guidelines. It's self-policing. And that's where we get into the fact of the matter of, is this something that needs to be done? If it's something where you think that the fun and enjoyable experience of the table is being affected, have the conversation. Put some ideas out there. Figure out a different way to play every once in a while. Don't make this the standard. Make it something to try out. See if it's enjoyed. And if you do enjoy it, that doesn't mean that this is how it always has to be. Right? Play a variant. Play a different type of EDH. Whether it's Two-Headed Giant or Kingdoms or... There's so many different types of ways to play EDH. And you can do all of them without having to pay extra. Try them out. Heck. You know, there's this podcast that decided to go into a bunch of different gameplay variants. Just saying. Go check a couple of episodes back. And by a couple, I think you're probably looking at like early early teens maybe before even that but try out a gameplay variant the last thing i'll say is that when you're having this conversation when you're broaching the subject with your play group recognize that it's not just about them having an open mind it's about you having an open mind as well we need to make sure that we recognize that this isn't a problem just because you see the factors that I'm talking about. Because the main point of this game is to have fun and enjoy it with your friends. Because you could be playing a lot of other games instead. So why do we gravitate towards this one? Because you get to build something. You get to play something. And you get to have fun with people while you do so. The only reason to worry about that fun is when it starts to go away. And this is just one of the ways to examine if that's the issue. For any other issues that you might have, well, let us know. You can go ahead and hit us up at the social contract EDH at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at EDH underscore social or pop into our Discord. And hey, let us know. Why are you concerned about your playgroup, if you are at all? And if you're not concerned about your playgroup because it's a great group, tell us what makes it a great group. Because 
If we can build off the ideas of how to enjoy at the table more, I'm happy to take that advice from anywhere that I can possibly get it. Because I love having fun with my friends. But I'm always down for figuring out another way to make this game more interesting and more fun. As long as it's for everybody. If you want to pick up any new cards for the budget decks that we're talking about or anything new, interesting, whatever you want to do, you can go ahead and go to bit.ly slash EDH underscore social. That's our affiliate link. There, you'll be able to get all of the cards, deck boxes, playmats, etc., etc., etc. from TCG Player. And you'll be helping us out by doing so at no extra cost to you. Finally, I just want to say that it's been an absolute honor doing these, doing this podcast uh, with Alex and for all of you. Um, our, like I said, our Discord community is thriving. I've had the opportunity to meet and literally play games with people that I would have never done so otherwise. And that is because the support that you give us is, it's, it's extremely heartwarming. So I wanted to say thank you for that because this is a project that Alex and I started on the simple concept of, I don't know, maybe it'll be fun. Sounds like a lot of work. And to his credit, he was right. It is a lot of work, <laughs> but it doesn't feel like it sometimes. Feels like we're doing something fun for a lot of fun people and a fun community for a game that we enjoy. I said fun way too many times at the end there. So now fun. It, the, the word fun. Fun. It doesn't sound like a word to me. Anyway. We'll talk to y'all next week. In the meantime, you go have some fun. See, it's still doing it. You go have some fun with your playgroup. We'll talk to you soon.